lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show. Live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre. They are here with me as well. 888-900-3393 is the number here to the Blaze. That's 888-900-3393. Let us know what you think about what we think as well via the SteveDace.com inbox. That's Steve at SteveDace.com. D-E-A-C-E or like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And if you're looking for samples of the show that you can view and then share with others, we would appreciate that as well. YouTube.com slash Steve Dace. That's YouTube.com slash Steve Dace. Coming up later today. For Theology Thursday, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to actually look at the theology of the enemy. Well, one of the enemies, theology. You know, it says in the scriptures in Romans 1 that we have exchanged the truth for a lie, meaning that there is, there's, there's really just one ultimate truth, but there are a multitude of lies. Well, one of the enemy's theologies we're going to look at in the next hour. We, I don't, have we ever done this before, guys? Have we ever, probably not, not since we went through my book, A Nefarious Plot, several years ago, right? We did a book study on it. Is that, the, is that the last or the only time that we've ever actually... I mean, we've done like the seven deadly worldviews. I guess that counts too, right? Right. But that was back in what? We did that like in 2017 was the last time we went through those on here on the show? 2018. 20, beginning of 2018. Yeah. So it has been a couple of years since we've done some enemy recon, right? It's, it feels like all we do is enemy recon. <laughs> well, um... If you're wondering who it is that lords over you, simply find out whom you're not allowed to offend. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. So, so we're going to do some enemy recon this week on Theology Thursday. We're going to take you inside, inside the theology, and I'm using that word on purpose, of Antifa. Where does it come from and who are they? I was a guest on a documentary about them three years ago by friend of the program, Trevor Loudon. And I was in this documentary with several other people looking at their history and what, what their true goals are. They are not the only player in the anarchy in our streets, but they are one of the primary players. And I mean, I've, I've even had conversations with people in my family and people in my circle who are well, who are well informed or more so than the average American. I mean, it's kind of hard to, to, to be around me a lot and not be somewhat informed just because of what I do all day long, you know, and that there's no way to avoid that entering into conversations. I can't tell you how many people I know within my own sphere of influence that had no idea that these people were predominantly white. And that, that this thing's been around since like pre-World War II. They're almost as white as I am, and I still listen to Coldplay. Pre-World yes. World War II? Yeah. Another hey, right. Hail Hydra. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm kind of surprised, and that's why we're doing this. Um, and so we're going to spend next hour kind of doing a mystery science theater treatment on this documentary. We're going to play it live for you and then react to it uh, ourselves in real time. Who is Antifa? Where do they come from? What do they want? That's coming up a little enemy recon for Theology Thursday. At the bottom of this hour, we have a very important announcement to make. And I finally get to answer a question that many of you have asked many, many times. 
over the last few years. And and so we're going to discuss that coming up at the bottom of the hour. But before we get to all of that, here is Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by the reverb. It seems some of the protesters have had enough with the looting and rioting. This woman from Washington, D.C. berated a group of white Black Lives Matter protesters. The blacks kill blacks in black neighborhoods every single day. I've never seen a Black Lives Matter in those neighborhoods. Never. Never. You know what they say? When the black person kill a black in a black neighborhood, they come out and they say, when the police comes, do you know what they tell the police? Snitches get stitches. I know. Snitches get stitches. But if a white person kill a black person, black lives matter. Stop the hypocrisy. Nobody takes this seriously. In Southern California, these protesters showed up to protect a business from further looting. Why are you protecting the business? Why are you protecting the business? Because we're not here to loot. That's not what we came here for. We're peaceful protesting. That's not peaceful. Looting is not a part of peaceful. This business, whoever owns it or whatever, had nothing to do with what we're here for. These nice acts haven't stopped all of the stupid, though. In California, National Guardsmen could be seen kneeling before protesters recently. New Orleans Saints quarterback Drew Brees came under heavy fire yesterday for these comments. Well, I, I will I will never agree with anybody um, disrespecting the flag of the United States of America or our country. Um, let me let me just tell you what I see or what I feel when the national anthem is played and when I look at the the flag of the United States. I envision my two grandfathers who fought for this country during World War II, one in the army and one in the Marine Corps, both risking their lives to protect our country and to try to make our country and this world a better place. So every time I stand with my hand over my heart, looking at that flag and singing the national anthem, that's what I think about. And in many cases, it brings me to tears. Bad timing, Drew Brees, bad timing, bro. All right, you, you, you play from New Orleans and you live in New Orleans. All them black people in New Orleans that support you, Drew Brees, you gotta be a little bit more sensitive to the timing, bro. Drew Brees, if you don't understand how hurtful, how insensitive your comments are, you are part of the problem. People perform in Germany, I never see a Nazi flag. I don't see streets named for Nazis because Nazis are a part of history that Germany understands was a cancer and corrupt and they've ridded themselves of. I see Drew Brees trying to do his part in keeping black folk down. Drew Brees plays in the deep south. As we travel through the south, we see the Confederate flag everywhere in the bounds. So if you're gonna tell me about flag and disrespecting the American flag, the fact that you live in a region that they still find the rebel flag or the Confederate flag, and you don't adamantly speak against that on a regular basis, just tells me that you're protecting the way of life or what you think is right. It's particularly disappointing from Drew because of the sport he plays and the city in which he plays it. Drew Reese plays a majority black sport in a majority black city. So naturally this morning he tweeted, quote, I would like to apologize to my friends, teammates, the city of New Orleans, the black community, NFL community, and anyone I hurt with my comments yesterday, end quote. Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt tweeted yesterday, quote, in a stunning development, our office has learned that every single one of the St. Louis looters and rioters arrested were released back onto the streets by local prosecutor Kim Gardner, end quote. Chick-fil-A CEO Dan 
Kathy says, quote, Our hearts are breaking for our black team members, operators, and staff, and all those in the black community who are suffering and who have suffered too long because of racism, end quote. Learning the dark tongue of Mordor today, today's phrase is, Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that the spirit of the age is Lord. The New York Times published an op-ed by Senator Tom Cotton yesterday. The op-ed, entitled Send in the Military, is Cotton's argument that the United States should use any and all means necessary to put an end to the violence and looting breaking out on American streets. So naturally, the New York Times' own staff went apoplectic over their own newspaper, publishing the senator's piece. Times reporter and Pulitzer Prize Award winner Ida Bay Wells tweets, I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but not to say something would be immoral. As a black woman, as a journalist, as an American, I am deeply ashamed that we ran this op-ed. And now a stroll down memory lane. New York Times op-ed, a plea for caution from Russia by Vladimir Putin. New York Times op-ed, Trump is right on Syria. Turkey can get the job done by Turkish Premier Tayyip Erdogan. What we, the Taliban, want by Sir Yudin Hagani, deputy leader of the Taliban. What Hamas wants by Ahmed Youssef, Hamas's chief propagandist. Venezuela, a call for peace by former Venezuelan dictator Nicolas Maduro. And finally, the art of propaganda by Adolf Hitler. And finally, a dog bites man story. What we're watching is a video of protesters getting dangerously close to police dogs. And that's what happened while we were away. Working from home is driving up the worst type of cybercrime known as home title theft. We're doing it all from home, working banking, video conferences, meal deliveries, shopping. That puts so much more of our collective identities online, more so than ever before. That makes us more vulnerable to cybercrime than ever before. And cybercriminals are targeting our homes. Actually, they want that money in your home so they can take out loans against your equity, your investment and stick you with the payments or maybe the eviction notice. The crime is called home title theft, and the FBI is warning homeowners home title lock is how to protect your home from these cyber thieves. Your home's legal title is online where they find it and forge your signature stating you sold your home to them. Then they'll take out loans on your home and leave you in debt. Banks, insurance, and basic identity theft services, they don't protect you, but home title lock puts a virtual barrier around your home's title so that they can. Protect your home now. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim and use promo code Steve for 30 free days of protection to help you through this crisis. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com, promo code Steve, to get 30 free days of protection at HomeTitleLock.com, promo code Steve. Coming up in the overtime today, Julie Kelly over at American Greatness has a piece out that I am disturbed by. In fact, I, I just saw a couple of things that she has put out and just during your montage, Aaron, uh, providing some supplemental commentary to it. And the piece that she has up in American Greatness is challenging folks like me. For those of you that don't know what that is, that's a, uh, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's an America first conservative think tank. Um, largely inspired by the movement around Trump, but I wouldn't say that they are, I mean, they're very supportive, but this is not like a, a, a Trump tankathon. I mean, they've gone after Jared Kushner and everything else there. Is that a fair description? Is that okay? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, that it's, it's pro-Trump, but I wouldn't say shield Trump, if, if that distinction is fair. 
Okay. Yeah, yeah, right. I think so. She's got a piece out today at American Greatness challenging people on the right like me that want the military called in to snuff this in our st- cities once and for all. Or as our friend Josh Hamer put it yesterday, end this anarchy by any means necessary. And the and her point is, essentially, it, 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 this is like dying from Mosul, Mogadishu. I mean, the, the prosecutor in St. Louis just released everybody they arrested yesterday. Aaron had that in his montage just a minute ago. So what's the point of, what's the, okay, so we send the soldiers in. There's going to be a, some casualties if that happens, all right? And, and, you, and you quell the uprising. But then they're just all let go. The ideologies and everything that were in place to allow this to take place in these blue cities are all still there. So we just keep sending them back over and over again like we did to Kabul. This argument haunts me. I hadn't thought about it until I saw what she put this morning online. And so I want us to work and walk our way through this today in the overtime, all right? Because I I really want to be able to tell her that's nuts. I'll help you. Good, because I'm not, right now I'm kind of haunted by the argument. Um, and so we're going to discuss it today in the overtime. BlazeTV.com slash Dace. BlazeTV.com slash Dace. If you're not already a subscriber, go there. That's where you'll get a discounted subscription at BlazeTV.com slash Dace. If you're already a subscriber, that's where the overtime will be posted later today. Let's get to the rest of what is an Aaron's montage. And I just have a sinking feeling. And this goes to what I just said about Julie Kelly's piece. I've got a pit feeling in my stomach that we're past a point of no return. And I, I've almost tweeted out 10 times in the last three days the only, some variation of this theme. At this point, the only way to save America is to end it. National divorce it is. That's the merciful play. The, the only reason I haven't done this, I'll be brutally honest with you, the only reason I haven't done this is I'm afraid that if I champion that, it will move our show so far outside the mainstream that we can't be effective in other avenues and arenas. And I might be wrong about that, but that's, that's why. That's why. Because it feels like we're at a point that we're past the point of no return. We, we literally just had a guy who gave more money than almost any of you watching this show will make in a lifetime to help rebuild New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. To... To bring how much how much value has Drew Brees been to the city of New Orleans? I mean, you and I are old enough to remember when they were the Aints most of our lives, right? Yes. They had that they had a brief run there when you had the Bobby A. Bear years. You know, they could get to the playoffs, but I mean, this has been one of the moribund franchises in all of American team sports. Really, he changed that entire culture. He did. If it's not safe for him. In the South, 
If it's not safe for him to say, just my own take on this is, you know, I, I had a, 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 what do you say, a father and a grandfather fight in World War II, I think he said? Two grandfathers. Two grandfathers, yeah. okay. Uh, fought in World War II, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of their, of, I'm proud of their sacrifice. I'm proud of their effort, their, their heroism, and I want to honor that. That's, that's right. Everybody in World War II that fought was white. Every American soldier was white. We've gone from the civil rights struggle was, let me fight for my country like the white guys do. The greatest political upset in American history was Truman beat Dewey. Jimmy the Greek Snyder, the, the all-time great sports handicapper. You ever wonder where, where he got famous, where he made his bones? He made a massive contrarian wager that Truman would beat Dewey. And everyone thought he was nuts. And he was right. That was his coronavirus, basically. That's where Jimmy the Greeks, that's where the legend of Jimmy the Greek Snyder began. Arguably the greatest sports better professional gambler in American history until he said something mind-numbingly stupid about slaves and breeding one night in a restaurant. Okay? But how did Truman pull that upset off? Analysts went back. All the polling thought Dewey was going to win. It was a foregone conclusion. The New York Times famously had the headline, Dewey beats Truman, right? Yes. And they went back and they found there was a group of people they weren't interested in in polling back in 1948. Blacks. And it was just assumed that blacks would vote overwhelmingly Republican, as weird as that is to say today. It was just assumed they were going to vote overwhelmingly Republican because they had ever since the Emancipation Proclamation. Except Truman got upwards of 40% of the black vote, a stunning number for a Democrat, particularly one from Missouri, which was borderline confederacy. A stunning number. And, and, and how did he do it? How did he pull it off? Because Truman desegregated and integrated the armed forces. And that was seen as the most affirmative act of civil rights in America since the 13th and 14th Amendments to the Constitution after the Civil War. It's just, at Gallup, everybody was white, didn't even think to call into the black communities and ask them who they're going to vote for and just assume they're all voting Republican anyway. It turns out a whole bunch of them voted for the Democrat, and that's what caused the upset. You ever heard that story before? How hilarious is that story in the context of what just happened to Drew Brees? We went from a civil rights battle of, I want to fight for my country. I want to serve. I want my exploits recognized. I, des- I want to be a general. I want to be a captain. I want to be in the cockpit. And now, <laughs> we're on the other side of the looking glass, Alice. And now, the civil rights battle is to not want to do those things. Those of you that are old enough to remember what life was like in 1948, I don't. I wasn't born for another 30 years. I got to believe, whatever you may think of, of, the, of, of race in America right now in 2020, I have got to believe, man, it is galaxies better in 2020 than it was in 1948. We didn't know what a Jackie Robinson was in 1948, guys. 
I, I am. I, I have to believe it's better than it than it was then. I have to believe that. If your name was Barack Hussein Obama in America in 1948, <clears throat> you'd be lucky if you get a job. Let alone elected president of the United States of America, man. And then I look at the fact this morning, first thing he gets up on his Instagram page, <clears throat> bows the knee. And you know he was going to do it because he did it last year. Remember Drew Brees sent those Bibles out, a, did a Bible literacy project with, with focus on the family. You remember that? Yep. By the way, this is a different focus on the family. This is not the focus on the family that Jim, that Jim Dobson ran. James Daly has a totally different vision. They're, they're almost exclusively apolitical now. They're totally out of the partisan political business. To avoid conflicts like this. At least that's what Jim Daly told you he was doing it for anyway. And that, he probably meant it. Till Drew Brees wanted to help support their Bible literacy project. And then he had to apologize for associating with an anti-LGBTQ hate group. Remember that story? Just last year. Just last year. So folks, ask yourself this question. Think of your neighbor's. Think of your family members, your friends, your coworkers. Look at your churches. And ask yourself a question that's going to make you feel real uncomfortable. And I feel uncomfortable, which is why I'm going to ask you, because I'm hoping by passing it on, I can relieve some of the tension of this question on myself. Ask yourself, if a guy who has survived. Drew Brees stopped playing college football 20 years ago. He's been in the NFL for 20 years. 20 years. If a guy who can survive for 20 years playing the most violent sport in this country and at a high level and has been immersed in a far more racially diverse subculture and environment than the vast majority of Americans of any color. If what is required of him to be this good at this violent of a sport, the level of discipline, the level of courage, the level of toughness, mental and physical. What's Drew Brees known for the most accuracy throwing to a spot. We invented the phrase throwing men open. Because of Drew Brees. Because he's shorter than the average quarterback. He can't, he can't see downfield. So he has to make what are called anticipatory throws. He's got to have the balls to stand in there and throw that ball a half second before he should in most cases. Because otherwise he can't get the ball there. He's one of the smallest guys in the field. And he's, he's a maestro at it. That guy. Okay? That guy. All that pressure. All the time. If that guy, if he's if 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 everything that he has been about and done up until this point doesn't give him a pass to say, I prefer to stand for the flag and the anthem based on the service of my own grandfathers. If that guy can be broken down in less than 24 hours to take the mark to the spirit of the age, 
then ask yourself a question you, that I don't think any of us really want the answer to. But I, but I think we have come now to the time in this game that we have to ask this. How many of your pastors can stand in the gap then? How many of your priests? How many of your conservative leaders? How many of your politicians? How many of your friends? How many of your family members? I mean, I'm getting emails from people now. My sister thinks I'm a racist. My cousin thinks I'm a racist. I, I mean, I just, how do I argue with that? And I keep telling you don't. I wouldn't talk to that person ever again, ever again, ever. It's pointless. It's a pointless exercise. Dust, sandals, kick, move on. If, if, if a guy who has been a superstar and a, and a philanthropist in such a racially diverse city as New Orleans for the last decade and a half, he hasn't played his whole career there. He came from San Diego. But he's been there many, many years, a decade and a half. If he's not allowed, he didn't even give a critical opinion. Just said, hey, for me, here's where I'm coming from. I want to honor my grandparents. This is my truth, Steve. Yes. He's not permitted his truth. So, remember when we wanted athletes to have a platform and use it? They don't. They, they want athletes to have a platform and use it for the stuff they believe in. Because this isn't about, this isn't about a, a dialogue. It's about an inquisition. That's what it's about. Not about a conversation. It's about an inquisition. That's what it's about. It's not about, hey, we need to have a plethora of dogmas here at the table. No, it's about my dogma needs to dominate. That's what it's about. And you sat there and watched a whole bunch of athletes, black athletes that you've made millionaires tell you you're racist. It, it, it's, I, I, we're going to do the whole silly NFL kneeling debate from 2016 all over again. We're going to do that all over again. We're just going to run it back. I, I, you know what? They really are. They, they're really going to have a guy get reelected with 40 million unemployed, aren't they? They're going to do it. They're going to literally make every single mistake that they made before. And, and, but, but bigger, but bigger this time. And instead of an unlikable nominee, it's, it's, an, it's, it's, it's an incompetent one. And every other, they're going to make every other mistake. Why? Here's why. Because what's driving this spirit of the age is not interested in sharing a country with you. That's why they're not trying to persuade you. They're trying to rule you. You persuade people you care about. Like when you're emailing me, what do I say to my racist, my cousin or sister who thinks I'm a racist? How do I talk to him? You care about that person. You want, you want that dialogue to continue. When they call you those names, they don't. They don't. They don't believe you're di worth dialoguing with any longer. They've ended the dialogue. They've ended it right there. You're subhuman to them. And I, I don't know, because here's the thing. I know we all agree that if Joe Biden wins in November, suddenly these riots are all going to go away, right? We all know that, right? We know that, right? Yes. Yeah, we know that, okay? But are people like you and my audience going to live with that? When you see his presidency go after your gun rights and your religious freedom and your ability to homeschool your kids and everything else, because do you think all these columns they're writing— 
and everything they're saying, that they're totally fine with Uncle Joe being Harry Truman Redux once he gets in office? Hell no. First of all, he won't be calling the shots anyway. These people will be. They'll be the ones calling the shots. And he's given every indication. Yes, he's that he's he already told you. Yes, he's already he, he's already told you all of this. Yes. And so this won't be over. They'll be satisfied, but you won't be, because you're going to realize that they used banana republic methods to get power over you, and then they're going to use this power to rule over you. And you're not going to sit there and just say, "Sucks." Shucks, I guess we'll get him again in four years. I don't think so. Some, one of you sent me an email the other day and asked, you know, Steve, you said when they almost had the mass assassination, you went on CNN, and when they, had the, when they almost had the mass assassination of those Republican uh, uh, politicians at the softball field, that if that had been successful, that could have been a, an Archduke Ferdinand moment for this culture. And one of you sent me a note asking me, is this the Archduke Ferdinand moment? I think that it may be. Because if, if this tactic is successful, then, you know, that whole debate we had the last couple of years about how, how much like them can we become in order to beat them, right? And I, and, and I thought there was a real important principle to make in that argument. For a couple of years, we had that conversation, right? No one's going to be, no, none of you will entertain that conversation if they beat you this way. If they beat you this way, we will be at a point of no return at that point. And national divorce will be the most merciful way, I believe, for this to end. I want you guys to comment on this before I make a big announcement when we come back, okay? Mm -hmm. We'll do that when we return. We are going to make an announcement we have been waiting to make for quite some time here in a few minutes, but I want to get right to letting you two respond to the mental math I was doing out loud in the last segment to open up the show. Todd, I'll start with you, your thoughts. Well, I told you uh, last week that I picked up the uh, Federalist Papers uh, to read again after not looking at them in quite some time. And uh, I told you I was really depressed after reading the first ones. Well, it's apropos uh, to bring up again, uh, because, Steve, you are talking exactly like Alexander Hamilton in terms of arguing uh, for a uh, stronger union in the form of uh, the Constitution. You, you're t- if, if we go down the road you are talking about, it can't, it can't help but lead to war because of human nature. You're making a human nature argument. You're not making mm-hmm. a Republican argument. Right. You're really just like you, you, we will have no, the, the argument for the constitution, this binds us together in having a conversation that ultimately benefits all of us. If you mm-hmm. take away that, and that's the, absolutely what Hamilton is talking about. If you take that away, our human nature will always be to seek maximum selfish advantage to protect what we believe, rightly or wrongly, Mm -hmm. to be ours. Now, we believe we are uh, arguing rightly, but still, human nature will kick in. This is fundamentally a constitutional argument that Alexander Hamilton himself laid down about why we preserve the Union. Steve is absolutely right in his instincts on this. Aaron, what do you think? I uh, woke up this morning like uh, a lot of mornings recently, and I, I don't want to get uh, melodramatic 
at all about this, but it's I'm sure you've had this feeling multiple times, Steve. It's like uh, it's going to be the montage is going to be the same depressing news, just with a, a different flair today. Uh, it's going to be, you know, uh, we're, we're going to be tempted to make the same arguments we've made uh, 5000 times about the same issues. And I'm just uh, uh, it's it's exhausting because of what you said earlier, there is no quarter. They're not giving you any quarter. The, the, the enemy here is not offering you any quarter. There is no come let us reason together. Okay, and you see how systemic, the, the real systemic thing here is the virtue signaling of progressivism. I, there, there, there are the virtue signalers who just want to go along to get along, and they're part of the problem. They're the useful idiots. There's the capital P progressives out there as well. I mean, but when I see, when I see uh, people who I've worked with in Chris, during my time in, in Christian radio before I came and worked for you, Steve, posting things uh, last weekend uh, about how uh, if you want to go back to church, uh, then you really don't care about the sick and the, 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 the most vulnerable among you. The same person this week is saying, well, I, I'm not saying rioting is good, but... <laughs> I know, guys. I know. I I, I, I don't. I, how do you I live don't, next to that? How do you I live next to that? This is a guy who works in Christian radio, who I've known for a long time, and they are legion as well. I mean, I see I see guys that I went to college with who were pretty apolitical, or they lean to the right. Probably grew up in good homes, and I'm seeing their reactions to this all of the time. And maybe this is just a, an artifact of social media and how it forces you to see other people. But I see them just, yeah, I'll change my profile picture, make it all black. That'll end racism. I, I just, it's so systemic. That's the real systemic thing here. I don't care about, I don't really care at this point about, uh, well, nine, uh, nine, nine unarmed black people were killed by police this year because they don't care about it. The others, they, there's no arguing. There's no reasoning with them. They want to end you. One of our listeners just sent an exchange that he had with somebody he was getting into a, a, a fight with on Facebook. And this, I think it encapsulates this. This guy, one of our listeners reached out and said, hey, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll call you up. If you send me your number, I'll call you up and we'll, we'll hash this out on the phone. And the person said, no, I don't want to. And, and uh, let the record show that I have no, I, 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 don't want, I, I don't want anything to do with you, essentially. They're the ones who are offering no quarter. Okay, we we've made all you of You slit the, your throat or we do it for you. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. There's 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 absolutely no reasoning. Nope. So maybe maybe like maybe like a rash that might subside randomly uh for a few days or for a period of time, maybe we will go back to that. But that's still there. It's still going to be there until you get down to the root root cause. It's still going to be there. So I don't, I, this is not to say that America is going to end in the next year. We are teetering on the brink, but like a rash that won't go away, might subside. It's still going to be there, though. It might just not look as zany with protesters out in the streets every single day. But as I said, and I'll wrap this up, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm filibustering here. I'm sorry. As I said about the coronavirus panic, if we lived in a country that really wanted the truth, whose soul collectively was not as vapid as ours seemed to be, we would have been out of that panic in the middle of April 
Yeah. The end of April. Yeah. Yep. If we lived in a country, you catch guys, him lying about what the guy in Sweden said yesterday. You yeah. And he came out and you guys mistrans. You guys not what I said. Yeah. Started taking live questions. They lied about that too. Yeah. Okay. If we lived in a country that was not so collectively vapid in its soul, these riots would have been over last Friday. Really? No, really. Yeah. That's why nothing you've ever done, Aaron, and this is a very high bar, was more on the nose of what you did in the montage when you uh, translated in the tongue of Mordor. They And again, going to that, uh, the, the movies that, that are basically, that we talk about all the time to make a point because it's things you've seen and w- the ways you can identify, they're all documentaries now. Yes. Okay? Yep. They're all documentaries. And when he says no quarter, I go to Aragorn. Offer them no quarter because none will be offered to you. I think the difficulty in operating a Christian worldview in that environment is we're not permitted to do in Rome as the Romans, right? We're not. And so... I, you don't go looking for it. And yes, and MLK, Gandhi, Gandhi the, the need uh, uh, to sh- suffer, to sh- show the world uh, the power of uh when that's the only power you have to do it well is a is an absolutely a must right are we there yet okay fine i'll do that yeah but i'm not just gonna lay down and no and nothing in our faith demands that we just when we have the power to say you're evil this is good we're fighting for it for our children hell no you come at me with that and i still have power I'm taking you out and I'm saying, thank you, Lord, for saving me and giving me the cause of righteousness that I will defend because of all the love, the faith, and the grace that you've showed me. Have we lost the war? Just somebody tell me. Is it lost? Then let's move on to just unending suffering and doing that well. I've been saying it's a civil war. I've believed that before this point. Are we saying it's lost? I'm saying I don't know I don't know that it's worth fighting. And that's where I was on that, Monday. That's that's what I'm I, I, Where do we what, go then? I, do I we don't do? I don't know. I, I these then until these, we have an answer it's worth fighting. I mean we we fought one civil war already. The reconstruction didn't have the casualties, but the fissures that it drove may, lasted and went on for decades. The South then responded with Jim Crow and and everything else that went on well into the 60s, okay? A hundred years after Appomattox. And we're we're still sitting here having some genesis of the same arguments. Our last president was black. I know, I know. And so if, if those cultures with far more in common than you and I, Todd, and Aaron have with the uh, the average white progressive in Manhattan, the average white progressive in San Francisco, right? If those cultures that had far more in common and were largely divided over this one singular issue and what the right approach to it was, they didn't argue whether there were 75 genders. They didn't argue whether your son could take your daughter's place on the track team. Okay. Hell, they didn't even think daughters should be have be on a track team. I I I don't know. Tell me what we would then. I need to have. I need to stop. 
because I'm going to talk myself into a corner I probably don't want to be in later on. I'm just going to leave it with this. I, I don't know what we would return to right now. And I'm just getting, and that doesn't mean there isn't anything. I just don't know what it is. And I'm open to people telling me what that is. You don't have to know that to know that right now there's pictures and those damn fools are doing it willingly of a bunch of white crowds sitting there on bended knee saying, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. You're going to be forced to do that. You're going to be forced to do that. Here's the other, here's the other problem too, is take this issue off the table. You actually have more in common culturally with, with a lot of those, a lot of those black folks that are protesting, not, not BLM. Those are Marxists. Okay. No, I but a lot of those black about. folks that are protesting right up into George Floyd, you and I actually have far more oh. in common with them than we do most other white people. If you, if this issue aside, I told you I sat my, which pen. makes it, which that, see that that's, that's, yes. the, that's the, that's the dead end we're in is that's, is the people that we could actually unite and form a culture with when this is over, we, there's a chasm. We can't get across it. You know what I mean? It, well, there's, there's a constant that deterrence. Outcome, that outcome is for God. We can't see it, but that outcome is absolutely for God. But I sat my family down and I showed them that video of that wonderful black mo- woman that uh, kicked off Darren's montage. From her accent, it sounds Jamaican. I, I don't know let me, exactly. Let me, let me put a point blank to you. Put, God bless on, her. Do, do you think you've got more in common with her and the shirtless black guy protecting the looting uh, store? Or most of the white people in your own parish on a given mass, Sunday mass. Who do you, what do you think you what do you who do you think you really have more in common with when it comes to defining oh, moral lines, meritocracy? Who do you think you really have more in common with? Oh, it's at least a flip of a coin. It's at least a flip of a coin. Yeah. You're right. That's a hell of a position to be in geopolitically, right? Yeah. That the people you have more in common with, you seem you you really on, on a yeah. lot of other tangible issues, you really can't get to a place where you could build that bond because there's a giant shibboleth standing right between the two of you. I don't know how to work away, how to work your way you around You can't. That. God can. Well said. So we're back to revival or bust. Is that yes. what you're saying? Okay. All right. Well, four years ago, I wrote a book that I am unfortunately going to have to read again and I am scared to death to. <laughs> All right. Four years ago, I wrote a book. I was sitting in Washington, D.C. Speaking ready to, of on the nose. Yes, I was getting ready to do Mark Levin's show to promote my my book that had just come out at the time, Rules for Patriots, How Conservatives Can Win Again. I was sitting in a hotel at the Capitol Complex in D.C. in the shower when this line came to me. This book is dedicated to all the useful idiots out there, especially those of you who weren't who weren't aware of the fact you were being used all this time for you proved to be the most useful idiots of them all. That line popped into my head in the shower. And after I did the interview with Levin, I just sat down by myself in my DC hotel room and wrote out based on that, on that dedication an introduction and came up with the idea or was given the idea to take C.S. Lewis's a screw tape letters one of the classic works in the history of, of Western fiction, but also I would say Western theology, where you are given, it's, a, it's parody, but it's, it's too on the nose that it's not. And you are given the inside look at how hell comes at you and I as individuals. 
what if we took that concept and, and, and broaden it to an entire culture? And I created a character named Lord Nefarious, a senior demon general from hell, who was tasked by the devil with ending the United States of America. Because next to the church, it was what stood the most in his way in this world. And to prove to his master, the devil, that his plan was successful, Lord Nefarious is going to put it all in writing. He's going to connect dots. He names names. He tells you who he worked with, who he put in place. This book doesn't pull any punches. If, that, if anything, it delivers too many of them. And he's going to put it right in your face. And you're going to deny it. You're going to ignore it. You're going to think it's conspiracy theory. And the fact that we are so far gone we won't even be offended as he spikes the ball in the end zone in our faces. That is how he will convince his master, the devil, that his plan has been successful. And one day I got a call out of the blue from a guy named Glenn Beck. Somebody had given him my book. Never met Glenn before in my life. And he said, hey, I've read this book, man. It's C.S. Lewis good. I want to get you on this show to talk about it. So he had me on his show. We ended up selling out every copy of this book that we had printed after this appearance. A guy named Chris Jones just happened to be listening to the Glenn Beck show that day and heard about this book. And he was working with a production company that had just finished God's Not Dead and God's Not Dead 2. And their dream was always, could they do like a real faith-based horror film, like The Exorcist or The Omen movies of the 70s, where true spiritual themes were, tr were really addressed, real things to be afraid of, not silly made-up killers and masks, real, real frights. But they were struggling to see what would be the story we'd come up with. And Chris just happened to be listening to the show that day. And he went out and got a copy of the book, a digital copy, and read it right away. And he went to that production company the next Monday and said, I found our story. And they signed me to the rights to the movie deal. That was four years ago. And now, four years later, I can tell you, Next week, I am flying out to LA. I'll be off for a couple of days. I'm flying out to LA and their brain trust and myself are going to sit in a room for two full days and begin to lay out what will be the, the story that will bring a nefarious plot to movie screens in the not, uh, hopefully, not too distant future. So... um. I'll leave it there. The coolest email. I already told you this, but the coolest email I've probably ever received and you've probably ever written is just the casual one you sent to Aaron and I. Oh, hey, uh, hey guys, flying out to LA to work on the movie next week. Why don't you dudes take next Thursday and Friday off? I mean, just like, just going out to LA and make my movie. Like, you know, just another day. <laughs> it was awesome. But we do get those days off, right? Y yes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I love it. Yes, you do you do get those days off. Yes. Hour number two is next. Back with hour two, live and on demand here on Blaze Radio, TV, and Podcast. I'm Steve Dace, Todd Erzin, and Aaron McIntyre here with me as well. If you are a podcast listener and you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review, no matter where you get the podcast from or through, uh, the more of those we get, uh, the more likely we get to continue doing this show. 
so you can keep listening to this podcast. That's what you can do to help us help you. Keep those five-star reviews coming. Thank you to the thousands of you that left us one of those five-star reviews already. 888-900-3393 is the number. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And again, youtube.com slash Steve Dace is where you can get uh, clips of this show that you can sample for yourself and then share with other people. Let's get to Theology Thursday, brought to you by Rough Greens. Here's something you may not know about your dog's food. It's got the same problem that you and I's food has. I mean, why are we taking so many supplements nowadays as humans? Because a lot of the vitamins, nutrients, minerals, prebiotics, um, you look at the omega oils, antioxidants, the things that we most need from our food other than, you know, it tasting good. A lot of that is stripped out so that the food can stay fresher, longer for mass production. Same thing has happened with our dog's food too. And that's where Rough Greens Vitasmart comes in. It is not a dog food, but it is a premium dog supplement. And apparently it tastes great because our dog woofs it down every time we put that powder on his regular dog food. And it contains all of those massive amounts of vitamins, minerals, and enzymes and probiotics and antioxidants that your dog needs. And right now you can try it for just 14 days to jumpstart your dog's revitalization, to get your dog back being active and mobile and excited with a healthy skin and coat all over again. It's just $14.95 if you want to try it for 14 days. Go to roughgreens.com slash blaze. That's R-U-F-F is how it's spelled for roughgreens.com slash blaze. R-U-F-F for roughgreens.com slash blaze. Three years ago, I was asked to appear in a documentary that we're about to watch with you for Theology Thursday. This week, we're going to take you to the other side of the looking glass here. We're going to do some enemy recon on Theology Thursday. What is and who is the group and theology of the spirit of the age, the latest manifestation that we're up against right now, the anarchy in our streets, known as Antifa. This is a project put together by a longtime friend of the show, Trevor Loudon. He's been on this show numerous times over the years. This documentary was his brainchild. You can watch it for free. If you want to share it with people, just go look for it on YouTube. But we're going to share this with you right now during this hour of Theology Thursday, and we're going to react and analyze it in real time. Let's begin. My name is Trevor Loudon. I'm a writer and filmmaker from Christchurch, New Zealand. I have spent the last several years in America and have addressed more than 400 audiences in over 40 states. My mission is to expose the influence of radical and terrorist groups in the mainstream political parties, you can see there, academia, media. More of these than just Antifa, right? And my recent travels. But they're the I'm big boogeyman right now. Phrases more and more often. Antifa and civil war. But who is Antifa? Why are they organizing? What are their goals? I knew from my 30 years of studying radical movements that Antifa would likely be connected to more mainstream leftist organizations. I knew that Antifa was a reincarnation of the so-called Black Bloc, a protest tactic where gangs of black-clad, masked street protesters engage in anonymous violence. These were the anti-Iraq war radicals who rampaged... You remember these protests? We saw these back in the daytime? Sure. 
the Black Bloc were part of the Occupy Wall Street movement of 2000. Those were just a few years ago. I don't remember the violent protests of 2003. I remember a lot of stuff back then, but I don't remember the violent protests. presidential elections, this time as Antifa. Even more violent, smashing property, and viciously assaulting all those who opposed them. There was also another difference. Numerous reports from victims and media alike of police refusal to intervene in incidents of violence. I became wow. increasingly appalled. I mean, we, we made this documentary three years ago. Okay. And Isn't that not what we're seeing right now? Yes. The frustration, the, the lack of arrests. Um, just why are you allowing this to happen now? They've upped the ante on the, on the, on the enforcement since Trump spoke out on Monday. They have done that for sure. I think 10,000 people have just been arrested since Monday. But this weekend, we all watched all weekend long. Like, what were, you know, where, where, why are they just standing down and letting this happen? Right? Point of order. Um, the University of Washington, I HME called and said 10,000 arrests is uh, exponential growth. With them on many things, I sought out the most active warriors against Antifa. Steve Dace is a political commentator, host of the Steve Dace show on CRTV and a nationally syndicated so This talk is before show we had the merger you know, so much TV. of what we are living through now actually comes from what happened in Italy uh, in the 20s and the 30s, where you saw the clashes between the fascists and the Marxists there. And that's where Antifa comes from, the uh, you know, anti-fascists, people that uh, wanted to go after the Mussolini regime. Leon Trotsky, creator and leader of the Soviet Red Army, formed the first Antifa-type units, groups of armed paramilitary thugs used to suppress opposition to communism in the years leading up to the Bolshevik Revolution. The Antifa concept was so successful that Trotsky spread it through Italy, Germany, and other European countries. Remember how we were taught that Trotsky was the nice one and Stalin sure. was the mean one? I know. <laughs> Snowball was so cute. Yes. The German Communist Party and the Social Democrats set up Antifa units to. So what you can see is that this is a this is a Marxist movement. That's what this is. It's Marxism. Perspective. It's a sibling rivalry. Hey, we're the thugs around here. No, we're the thugs. Hey, we're the gangsters here. No, we're the gangsters. Hey, we're the tyrants here. No, we're going to be the tyrants. After the Nazis destroyed Antifa and the Communist Party. Many former left-wing militants switched sides to the Nazis. It would make sense they would switch sides to the Nazis. I just had a terrible thought exact, about what we've been talking about with, exact, and what we're going to talk about in the, the overtime exact, regarding uh, the, only difference is which the military. Gains control. And so ultimately, what the if the reason Trump isn't using the military, and this speaks to exactly what you're talking about, it's because there's been enough infil infiltration of the military that Trump's not sure that the military would put it down. Well, that's what happened when the Visigoths came over the wall. A whole bunch of whole bunch of Roman yeah. soldiers took the uniforms off and said, "Hey, it's hey, Brutus, it's, is that you?" Yeah, it's the cousins. It's a family reunion, and they they turned on the city. That's what happened when the Visigoths came over the wall. That exact scenario is what occurred. Yeah. Known as the anonymous. I hate the crazy voices in my head. Protesting against visiting. American President Ronald Reagan. I have read and I have been questioned since I've been here about certain demonstrations against my coming. And I would like to say just one thing, and to those who demonstrate so, I wonder if they have ever asked themselves 
that if they should have the kind of government they apparently seek, no one would ever be able to do what they're doing again. Antifa resurfaced in the early 1990s. German communists and anarchists joined forces to combat gangs. And Twitter is not the bully pulpit. We could really use someone that could stand on a stage of that magnitude and just bring some compelling clarity like that right now. soon morphed into violence against any opponent of the far left agenda. The German intelligence service website when you, explains... To your point, when you read history, the talk about the revolutionary period, just the remarkable bringing together of the minds at that time. Same thing regarding uh, Reagan's time. It wasn't just Reagan. It was Pope John Paul II. It was Margaret Thatcher, this coming together of like minds. So you don't just stay... It's It's... It's always some sort of minority, but you're just you're not just alone all by yourself. Kingdom, Germany, New York, and Berkeley, California. Sheltered, nurtured, and funded by left-wing city councils, Antifa became well established across Germany, especially in the formerly communist East. They have places in Germany, entire cities that I've gone to that are like known as Antifa towns and have their stickers all over and they can't set up police stations there or they'll be shut down and raided and attacked by this militant group. And they've just become a thing since Trump's election in America. They've really just started to get a wave of popularity there. And I'm worried that it's going to get as bad as it is in Europe. I was interviewing a young man in Germany who was like, please blur my face, please distort my voice in this interview. He wasn't saying anything particularly offensive, just something with a remote right wing. That that would be a moderate idea in America. And he was so afraid because he said the Antifa in Germany would put him on their website and on their lists and they might hurt his child. They might come after his job, his livelihood, crash his home. There are plenty of stories of the homes of fascists being raided and all their things being smashed. Gavin McInnes was a co-founder of so you have to understand, Media. He has Some of these terms, if you're an Aaron's generation, are new, okay? As a teenage anarchist punk, Communists Gavin view capitalists as fascists. Sure. Okay. That's that's important to understand. Communists view capitalists as fascists. All right. So you have to keep that in mind. If if you are a capitalist, you're a fascist. Because it keeps dripping into your eyes from your forehead, no matter how much you clean it. And uh, they were screaming, "Whose campus? Our campus? Whose campus? Our campus?" In, in, in a catatonic state. And I went over to my microphone. There's plenty of mics. And I couldn't do my talk. And the professors, by the way, pretended they were regulating this talk, but they weren't. They didn't kick anyone out. They just said, please sit down. Just going through the motions. But they're implicit in all this. And I went over to the guy and I said, here's a microphone. Come on up. Let's have it out. And as I brought the microphone to him, the way I describe it is it was like a radioactive... So as he got closer, he went, oh, and this sort of, the, whatever you call that meter, that radioactive meter was going closer to him. And he'd go, oh, who's coming? And then when it got really near his face, he'd just cringe. And then as I walked away, yeah, see, there's, there's, there's no there's no interest in a dialogue here. We talked about this last hour with Drew Brees. There's no dialogue, no conversation, only an inquisition. That is it. 
It's an inquisition. There will be no discussion. There will be no dialogue. There will be no debate. Period. Period. But in fact, have morphed into totalitarian communists. Nobody should own anything. Cease for communists. You know, are making What do you think, dude? You know, do you understand who you're talking with here? Yes. Do you understand who you're talking with here? Yes. Do you understand? Yes. I am a communist. Okay. They have no problem saying we are communist anarchists, and they wave the hammer and sickle, and they basically have been duped by Marxists. So what's the difference between today's anarchist movement and the communist movement? Is there a difference? There's absolutely no difference. No, there's whatsoever. not. Lindsay Grathwold is a Bay Area free Nothing new under the sun, just new people under the sun who haven't heard it yet. So to Aaron's generation or people a little bit older, this is all new. Right? Has, you weren't even alive in 1991 when the Soviet Union fell, right? Mm -hmm. So you rely, therefore, on those who were going to teach you history because you didn't experience it, you didn't live it in real time. You're relying on people that were that were charged with teaching you history to pass that legacy on to you, right? Right. Was this passed on to you? Not a whole lot. No. I mean, no, it wasn't. Not that. amongst my comrades, anyway. No. No pun intended. No pun intended. They honestly yeah. believed that they were going to succeed. Um, and that the only way to accomplish this goal of creating a communist society and government here in the United States was uh, by uh, strategic sabotage. What impassioned you to be involved in this? My dad probably inspires me the most, um, just what he did and me seeing what's going on and how it reminds me of everything that happened to him. That's probably my biggest motivation, aside from the fact that I love this country. I love this country and I'm watching it, in my opinion, I'm watching it fall apart. And I feel like I need to get in there and do something. So your dad, Larry Grathrow, tell us a little bit about what he did back in the 70s that makes him so exceptional. He was in Vietnam. He was uh, in the 101st Airborne. Um, when he returned from Vietnam, he went to uh, University of Cincinnati where he ran into the SDS which was eventually turned into the Weather Underground Group. Yeah, the Students for a Democratic Society. These are the, the this is this the the baby boom generation version of Antifa is who these people were. And my father-in-law was in the 101st Airborne too, by the way. He was their runner. He would run messages between the Central Committee and other groups. And so he knew what, what, what the main characters in that group were doing at all times. He watched them plan bombings, um, watched them plan many acts of violence. And what she's talking about, you've heard me mention a book in the past, Radical Son, by mm -hmm. David so, yeah. Horowitz, not her friend Daniel, but David Horowitz, right. about his evolution from a 60s radical to the, the MAGA you know, activist that he is today. And he wrote this book back in 1996. I would urge all of you watching this to go get this book and read it. It's one of the greatest political books I've read in my entire life. He, he lived through all of this. He was in all these groups. He was in all these meetings. And so what she's describing her father saw that's exactly what's in David Horowitz's book. And again, that book's over 20 years old now. I'm angry. Um, this man should be in jail. Um, him and his wife, Bernadine Dorn, they should both be in jail. They should not be out. It makes me angry because he's out there pushing this, but not only is he out there pushing this now, he's been allowed to push this in our schools for decades. And I firmly believe that his teachings, just him and the liberal teachings, have made Antifa what it is. 
Jack Posobiec is a highly controversial journalist, activist and former Special Projects Director of Citizens for Trump. He has served several tours in the Naval Reserves as an intelligence officer. Jack uses his intelligence skills to track Antifa activities. I'm not a Nazi. What are you doing, man? Are you hey. We were told 20 years ago that communism had collapsed, that communism was no longer a problem. Yet we see violence and anarchy on America's streets like we haven't seen since the 1970s. And at that time, we know it was communist-directed, you know, by the Weather Underground, the Communist Party USA and others. So why are we seeing this violent, communistic sort of activity today when it's no longer supposed to be a problem? Because... While the Soviet Union fell, right, the Berlin Wall came down, sure, that all happened. But the ideology of communism, the ideology of sort of those people in the 70s that that you mentioned were out there in the streets, from a great part of the United States, certainly in the Democrat Party, those people that were out there in the 70s, uh, Bill Ayers comes to mind, are now tied to the highest levels of the Democrat Party, the highest levels of the U.S. Senate, the highest levels of U.S. Congress. This is what David Horowitz Uh, talks about in the book Radical Son. He describes it as, in his book, The New Left. Okay, and part of the description I've used on this show over the years that there's liberals and then there's leftists, okay, um, and there aren't really too many liberals anymore. In fact, a lot of them went to the Republican Party, all right, that the Democratic Party, by and large, is a, at its leadership. The average Democrat neighbor you have that works for a union, the electrical union, isn't like this, but he's not running the show. The person, the people that run the Democratic Party in America are hardcore leftists, leftists, and and they're, they're neo versions of communists. That's why every, every solution involves empowering the state and depowering the individual. But it really does tie back to him in a lot of cases. I sort of look at Antifa as as the ultimate Cloward Piven plan. They're like the ultimate expression of the Cloward Piven plan. And if you know that analogy, these were two professors at Columbia University in another era who took a look at America and realized she was never going to knowingly adopt Marxism because there's just too much freedom and prosperity out there. People aren't going to give that up without a fight, right? You know, so uh, instead, overrun the system with victimology, overrun the system with bureaucracy so that the system collapses and then they feel as if they have no alternative but to turn to government to save us. Antifa is after the exact same thing. Create enough chaos in the streets, create enough bloodshed in the streets, people lose faith in their government. Chaos is the friend of the Marxists. Is that not what we've seen over the last four months? Yes. That is exactly what we've seen over the last four months. You cannot have your livelihood. You you must give up your livelihood. You cannot go to church. There is nothing other than the government here to tell you what to do and Karen, your next door neighbor, to tell you where you should be and what you cannot do and who you cannot talk to. And then after all of this, right when businesses were starting to get get reopened again, oh, we're going to ransack your your. We're going to ransack your business, loot your business, and the police are not going to, they're not going to protect you. That's exactly right. Islamophobic, you name it. This is called concept creep. Activists expand the meanings of words to advance their agenda. To Antifa, fascist now means anyone who opposes socialism. Yep. Racist I told you a few minutes anyone ago. who votes. To the, to the communist, anybody, any capitalist is a fascist. First, vilify and dehumanize your enemy. Second, 
destroy your enemy. You have to understand, like, my generation grew up our whole lives watching movies like Indiana Jones, where the coolest thing in the world is to punch or kill a Nazi, right? We watched Inglorious Bastards, which is just get me 100 Nazi scalps. And then we, we grow up through this inauguration election cycle, and we're told in university media, all the popular culture, that Donald Trump is Hitler. His supporters, those red caps, they might as well be swastika armbands. What are you supposed to do? If you are told that this is going to be the rise of a man who you've been taught has killed millions and millions of people, what are you how are you supposed to react to that? The only logical response to that is to go and try to stop it by any means necessary. Just kill them all. Kill Trump. Let's kill all these Nazis. And again, Trump is a Nazi and everyone who voted for him is a Nazi. So let's kill, I don't know, 100 million people. Would that be good? As Marxists are wont to do for their utopias, right? That they haven't planned out yet. In America, almost all major Antifa violence has occurred in cities where the police are reined in by far-left Democrat-controlled huh. city huh. councils. Boston, don't say. New York, Again, Washington, folks, we did this documentary DC, three years ago. Virginia, okay. Portland, Oregon, Oakland, San Francisco, This is exactly what Berkeley, you're seeing California. in your news the last we found week evidence of is what's in this documentary Antifa we did three years ago. Democrat interaction. Sometimes the ties are personal. Among those choice has committed crimes, Linwood Kane, the son of former Democratic Party vice presidential nominee Tim Kane. Linwood Kane will have to appear in court to face charges for fleeing on foot and obstructing the legal process. Linwood Kane fought the police and had to be restrained with a chemical spray. In some cities, Antifa has actually penetrated the Democratic Party. In Orlando, Florida, Dylan Tyre leads the Antifa group Knights for Socialism, which is completely controlled by America's largest Marxist organization, Democratic Socialists of America. Have you America. noticed how most of these people Dylan are white? Tyre serves on the local what have I been saying most of this year? Every bad idea in America has come from wealthy, affluent, leftist white people. Every single bad idea. Every single one. Even, even, even Black Lives Matters. If it weren't for the support of wealthy, leftist white people. When we were in Would they have the ability to go out and loot and ride in the streets? The no. Would they have? No. no. Every bad idea in America comes from wealthy, affluent white people. Everyone. All around Portland that our guys got pictures of. They wanted me to go in, and we were going to try to send a couple of our people in there just to find out what they're doing. And I was willing to do it. I said, okay, but I didn't make it in time. So they tried to send a couple of um, other people that I know in there. They immediately, they were stopped before they could even get up the driveway. What's interesting is that the training happened at the- Labor Union building. Yes, it was going on there. And then one of the Antifa people, of course, they all have, you know, um, bandanas on their face. So you can't see who it is. He said he wanted to make it known that not only did they own that building, but they owned three or four blocks, like the whole, you know, all around there, that our guys needed to get out of there like right now. Very organized. It was very, very organized. It wasn't a cheap looking building. It was very nice um, from what I saw the pictures. That's not college kids just protesting. There's money behind mm -hmm. these people. Lots of money. 
how do you do this multi-city? When it comes to where 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 do where do all the stashes of bricks and everything else and and the and the IEDs and stuff that police are uncovering? Where's that all coming from? The IED theory. I don't know. Yes, these this is a coordinated insurrection, which is why these people should be treated as domestic terrorists. I didn't say described or labeled. Treated. All right. When you see somebody in Antifa black mask, you should look at them the way you looked at Muhammad Atta. That's how they should be treated. Former Mayor Lonnie Hancock and current Berkeley City Councillor Chris Worthington have all been members of the BAM Facebook group. What specifically is it about Milo Yiannopoulos that you and others have an issue with? Well, first of all, Milo Yiannopoulos is a fascist. He's a white supremacist. He's funded by Steve Bannon and Breitbart. He's an acolyte of Donald Trump. And he was on the UC Berkeley campus to try to recruit more fascists. By any means necessary are a group of professors, students, quote unquote, intellectuals publicly stating they believe that right wingers and uh, people they deem to be fascist need to be stopped by any means necessary. That means guns. That means violence. That means potentially killing people, which is a very, very scary thing that is being advocated publicly and with very little resistance in America. Why not be peaceful ab- ab- about it? Why not, you know, chant and, and, and hold your signs and things, but when you take the barricades and you destroy the building and when you set fires, isn't that counterproductive? I think that the left has been far too timid for mm-hmm. way too long. And it's why we've even gotten in this position where we even have someone like Donald Trump leading a fascist. This is important. This is something else I've mentioned in the past, too. See, a lot of you that are listening and watching right now, you don't pay attention to what's going on on the other side of the street. You've written it off. You know they hate you. You're not following it. But I can promise you that on, on the left, they think they haven't lied enough. They think they haven't been violent enough. They they think that um, uh, they didn't put enough fake rape allegations out there about Brett Kavanaugh. That's what these people... And that seems nuts to us. Because we're like, wow, man, these people are scorched earth. They are convinced that they're not scorched earth enough. And if they, if they ever get to a point of political... They're already at cultural, but at political hegemony... That's not going to stop there either. No. They're going to start turning on themselves. No, it's th- going to be, and that's going to be hilarious. I mean, we'll we'll be watching it from prison. Yeah, because that, that'll be after lucky. they turn on you and I. Yeah, because they're not going to use that. That goes to what we were talking about last hour too. They're not going to use these tactics to acquire power, and then not use that power with those tactics once they're given it. That's why we cannot negotiate with this. That's why we cannot set a precedent that this is a path to getting a seat at the table in the public discourse. But it must be squashed with with no mercy groups like this need to be eradicated and erased by the might of the united states and the reason why is if you set a precedent that these are the tactics by which you get invited to the seat at the table pause this for a second aaron if you set the precedent that you get invited to the seat at the table by these tactics then that's those are the tactics that they will use later on you cannot set the precedent whatsoever that that this is what works and that this is what will get you where you want to go in the arena of ideas. No, we don't negotiate with terrorists. You're terrorists. We put we put terrorists down in the United States. That's what we do. Thoughts on what we've seen so far? Well, that's also why 
you the fact that conservatism ultimately came to be viewed as just small government and market forces was an utter failure it should have those things in it but this is the conversation we have about uh, what the common good is and how we use government it's a subsidiarity argument that is ancient quite frankly you can't just give them the schools you can't just say the schools suck they're a bunch of leftists and go that's how this happened that's how bam their whole life being told that every little stupid thing that comes out of their id is a phd waiting to happen and they get there and then they have it it's righteous to them to hate you it's righteous to them to kill you then there's nothing new under the sun and we let it happen in this nation i just want to reset the root of progressivism is the root of any kind of evil ideology throughout um and the root of any example of man's inhumanity to man throughout history and the root of that is ye be like god which is why I say once they throw once they get political hegemony and they throw the likes of us in jail or worse they're going to start using the same tactics on themselves because they don't want to just stop becoming god once they have political power then they're going to start fighting each other for who's the most powerful animal farm we'll just all be dead or in prison and won't be able to enjoy it when that happens unfortunately yes The SAT and ACT are often thought of as simply inconvenient tests students have to give up an entire Saturday to take a few times their junior and senior years. But the reality, however, is they're the two most powerful forces driving curriculum in the United States today. That's why we have the expression teaching to the test. And there's no question that the college board, which owns the SAT, that's a far leftist organization. They're probably all down with things like Antifa that we're talking about here today with Theology Thursday. In fact, just last year, uh, the college board had students reading Bernie Sanders' op-eds. I mean, he's, he would be another uh, Antifa uh, lullaby. No, I'm sure they had them uh, reading the writings of Clarence Thomas and or Ted Cruz, too, as I'm, well. I'm, yeah. I'm, sure that, that, I'm sure that didn't happen. But yes, the good news, though, is, hey, the good news is there is a new company maybe doing things like that. They're taking on the SCT and the ACT. It's called the Classic Learning Test, or CLT. It's been around for just over four years, and it's already been adopted by more than 200 colleges, and nearly every college will now consider CLT scores at least as a supplemental component of your kid's college application. It's shorter than the SAT and the ACC, and students now take it from the comfort of home through remote proctoring technology. But the final CLT of the year is coming up. That's June 20th. That's rapid approaching. So with the SAT and the ACT canceled, the demand for the CLT has been so high that seats for that June 20th final CLT are limited. So don't miss out. If you know a high schooler or you have one yourself, don't miss it. Save your seat and register today. Hundreds of colleges are already offering tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships for CLT scores. To register for this June 20th official college entrance exam, visit cltexam.com. Again, register now at cltexam.com. That's cltexam.com. Let's continue with our Theology Thursday. We're doing it, though, from the other side of the street. This is some enemy recon. We're looking at who is and the theology behind Antifa. 
And what you're finding out is that the theology behind Antifa is Marxism, the religion of state. And this is from a documentary that we put together three years ago and was produced by a longtime friend of the show, Trevor Loudon. Let's continue. They need moral chaos in a culture. They need to bring a culture to the divisive breaking point where it essentially turns to the strongman, the authoritarian figure that is the leader of their tribe and say, hey, fix this for us, save us from ourselves, bring us order. Uh, and that is the siren's song. Hey, how come you guys are hanging back? That would be a good question for the chief of police. I mean, I haven't seen the cops around people and just like beating it's the shit out of each other. It's a public statement, right? No, I'm just asking you guys. I mean, you're here. I would defer you to our public information officer. So they told you to hang back? As I said, I defer you to our public information officer. Isn't this exactly what we saw over the weekend? What's your next question? All over the country. We saw this over the weekend, didn't we? Yeah. Hang back. I'm Don't arrest anybody. I've been, I've been watching all day. People get... The only thing he's not doing you know, is taking a knee. Pretty bad. I haven't seen you guys around much. Mm-hmm. Okay. And... If you no longer have a platform to discuss, which the conversation very quickly went from uh, should we allow free speech to, should we ban hate speech to, should we respond to hate speech with violence, once the conversation has gotten to that point, there is no more capability for the right and left to communicate at two different tables and bring their ideas. The only possible conclusion is violence. And these guys are being exposed for what they are. They're not freedom fighters pushing for less government. They're brainwashed communists trying to kill people. Milo's event, there were people being on the streets that were just being these beat are with sticks. White kids, mostly, mostly from suburban, affluent neighborhoods who got worked over by the communists that the last two generations of this country have allowed to take over our education system and our university system and subsidized at the exact same time. Eventually, these chickens were going to come home to roost and they're these skinny, punk, rich white kids wearing all black garb out in your streets right now. Right now. This was a rally of genuine white supremacists, bona fide Nazis, and Ku Klux Klansmen. If you are walking down Main Street America, waving a Nazi flag, one, you're a moron, two, you're a terrible person. White lives matter! White lives matter! The whole event was a disaster waiting to happen. Thousands of activists swarmed on the town looking to confront Nazis. Workers' World Party brought a contingent to confront the cops and their clan running dogs in Charlottesville, Virginia, as part of a battle to take down altars to racism, what the media cynically calls Confederate monuments. It wasn't just Antifa, it was Democratic Socialists of America, International Workers of the World, the Party of Socialism and Liberation, and the Pro-Russia Workers' World Party. Essentially, what you're dealing with from a worldview standpoint, are two peas in a pod. Their only argument they really have is, we want to be the thugs in control and not you. We want to essentially do to the people that you're ruling almost all the exact same things that you want to do. We just want to be the one holding the gun to their head instead. The two sides fought for hours. According to several media reports, the only action police took 
was to steer white supremacists into direct confrontation with the anti-fascists. There is no moral high ground there. The proper antidote to lawlessness is not another form of aberrant lawlessness. The, the proper antidote to lawlessness is law and order, and that is something, true law and order, that neither Nazis or Antifa are advocates for. One of the great tragedies of this era is to watch the greatest generation spend untold blood and treasure in their time to defeat Nazism over there so that it wouldn't come here, to defeat Marxism over there in the Cold War so that it wouldn't come here. And we are now, in, in my generation and the one behind me, we are now importing the various worldviews that our grandparents' generation spent their lifetimes attempting to defeat you know, they're in their natural habitat, so they would never come here. Do you remember that when last the line, FBI no USA at all? That's what this is about. They could just be lying. It's 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 an insurgency. They're terrorists. They should be treated as such. Why aren't the authorities going after today's terrorist group? Why aren't they going after Antifa? Antifa is at war with your government. Why aren't your authorities fighting back? As the president promised law and order in his convention speech last year. I'd like to see him live up to that promise. Because I think there's a lot of Americans dying to see Someone just spanked these brats once and for all. If Antifa violence remains unchecked, what will be the consequences? So if well, you look at Trevor, your kids, three years your later, future, I think we know what the consequences you want, are. You want your family Ladies and gentlemen, it's been what's on our television screens for the last five or six days now. The Those worst, are the consequences. The worst reality show ever. Family, I don't have to worry about taking my children. You know, when, we, when I went to Portland, one of the hardest things for me was my son who's 10 years old, wanted to come with me. And um, I wanted to bring him more than anything because, you know, he wanted to go because he loves America just like me. Um, he's very patriotic. He's following in his grandfather's footsteps. Um, and he didn't understand why he couldn't go. And I had to sit him down and I had to explain to him the danger in it. And then, you know, later I showed him the videos of me wearing a helmet and everything that happened. And, uh, and I just think that it's really sad that in America, we can't go to a free speech rally without having to wear helmets and to leave our children at home. Your police are constitutionally bound to protect every American citizen's right to free speech. What will happen if the police are prevented from protecting Americans exercising their First Amendment rights? Every American's right to speak freely must be protected at all times by county, state and federal law enforcement authorities. Most people, regardless of how they vote in this last election, don't want to live in an America that looks like the Berkeley campus. Your founding fathers enshrined free speech as the very first amendment to your constitution. They understood that free speech is your most important protection against tyranny. Hmm. The Constitution 
This is not the time to walk away from it. This is the time to come even closer to it. This is the time to assert it more. This is the time to use it more. Be radical in standing for the Constitution. Free speech is never free. It must be fought for by every generation. What are you going to do? And history, Trevor, shows us all throughout cultures that see these sorts of clashes in the streets, we all know what the next step is. Tyranny. In a perfect world, I shouldn't have to be fighting for freedom. It should just be. Um, I would love to be able to just spend, you know, all my time with my kids. Um, but the way I look at it is, is that I wouldn't be doing anything else than this right now because our country needs it and I want this country to be better for my kids. I want them to be able to stand, in, like I said, in the middle of San Francisco with their flag and be proud and not be afraid to do it. The United States of America is the best. Or you could have the country three years later where Drew Brees has to recant the fact that I like to stand for the anthem because my grandfather's died in World War II trying to beat Nazis. So (laughs) you're a Nazi for wanting to stand for the flag to honor your grandparents who beat Nazis, right? Yes. Aaron. Actually, can you go to, there's something that ties in that James Wood just tweeted very, very well, but I need to get a couple of things together. Could we go to Todd? Yeah. Yep. Real quick. Listen, this is, um, we are way east of Eden. The, not just one piece of fruit was taken off the uh, tree of knowledge of good and evil. I mean, that, that tree has been we're in shell silverstein territory now i mean it has been picked bare chopped down it's a stump all right but the antidote there right there is immediately after that happened god hey angel flaming sword time the victory is ultimately ours but that should embolden us to know what to do in this moment to be the light in the darkness no matter what no matter what the cost is here and no further pick up your flaming sword stand with the angels this is cosmic good versus evil stuff right here this is why movies are made in times of great comfort when movie studios can open up and places like Hollywood can originally exist to do what's always been done throughout human history, to tell the great tales, to not let you get too comfortable. And yeah, that's why Antifa ultimately and their likes infiltrated Hollywood too, because you can't know. You can't have those great tales. Start with the greatest story ever told. Grab your flaming sword and pick a fight. It's a good fight. It's a righteous fight. You cannot let this happen on your watch. Everything in that documentary three years ago is everything that's been in the news here for the last yes. week. I mean, that, that was like prophecy. Yes. That was like watching prophecy being ref- It's not f- fulfilled. like it. It is. I've to- Steve, I've told you for years because... Uh, you have that gift and there's no, there, I understand you, you, you need to keep it in check and be humble about it. I don't have to be as your friend. Quite frankly, that's my biggest job. Just being here is to be your friend and to tell you 
preach on. This is a time of the prophets. This is Old Testament time right now. Oh, it's just a dusty old book, thousand years old. I've been told that by Christians this very week. Oh, it doesn't apply. The reason we still read the Old Testament, even though we have the grace of the new, is so we understand why the new was necessary. We are Old Testament fools right now in need of a brutal ass-kicking or we've been the need of God. It's one or the other. There's no other choices, folks. There is none. So if you want to, I'm going to try to follow that up. If you want to know where this thing with Antifa is going from here, this photo has been making the rounds recently on social media. That's Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison with a book, holding up a book called Antifa, the Anti-Fascist Handbook. That's not a faked photograph. That's not photoshopped, anything like that. He actually endorsed that book. I think he deleted the tweet or the post where he actually did that. But of course, the internet, everything lives forever. Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison has been put in charge of the trial of the officers involved with the murder of George Floyd, which kicked off this entire last week and a half of, of rioting, looting, violence in the streets of America. James Woods just tweeted this. Just a prediction. Keith Ellison will time the trial for the month before the election. October surprise. Regardless of the verdict, the rioting will be timed just before Election Day to intimidate the elderly from going to the polls. Mail-in voting will be instituted due to civil unrest the sith are literally calling the shots right now see i i think i saw andy mccarthy at national review had this analysis the grandstanding pile on of these charges understand that the higher the charges the higher the threshold of proving them okay can you only imagine if he piles on all these extreme charges that they can't prove okay because the higher you go with degrees of murder the more motive is called into play right okay and if if you go if you're going to go through every vestige of this guy's life and you cannot prove that and we know he's had issues with his own behavior as a cop right he's been cited in his own record but if but if they're not all people of color that he has bullied with a badge and you can't prove racial animus and and he walks you want to talk about a fan of menace, well, they get what they want then. Mm-hmm. All right. Understand that Antifa would prefer that he walks. They don't want any justice. They, they don't, they don't want a jury to look at what this guy did, realize it was wrong and give him the death penalty. They don't want that. Okay. What, what they want is for him to walk. Cause if he walks, then they absolutely have free reign to do everything that James Woods is talking about because it's not about no justice, no peace guys. It's just about no peace. This is anarchy. Communists use these sorts of events to destabilize cultures so that the previous, the, the previous system of belief can be more easily removed after it's deconstructed and then replaced with the new one. And then what is the end game? And they looked from pig to man and man to pig and then back to pig to man again. And they couldn't tell the difference. That is the end game. That they use this to acquire power to then do to you what they claimed you were doing to them the entire time. We're going to stick around and do the overtime. Uh, for the rest of you, we are back at it again tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern, right after Glenn Beck here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Until then, John 317. 
This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.